In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning. Nice to see you all today. Uh, We're in part two, this is part two of our annual sermon series on the vision of the church. The series is called The Body of Christ. And uh, last week we looked at the heart of Christ. Uh, This week we're going to look at the mind of Christ. We're going to take a week off next week, um, not of church, you still have to come to church, but uh, uh, for Labor Day we'll have an instructed Eucharist and then um, and kind of We'll talk through that with the each different parts of the service. But then two weeks, we'll have uh, the hands and feet of Christ. Um, so the body of Christ, how we as a church sort of embody those elements, uh, the heart, the mind, and the hands and feet of Christ. Let's read the vision statement together. It's uh, on the back of the church. You would do well, I think, for your church to memorize this. It's at the very top there. Let's say it together. Church of our Savior exists to help people wherever they are on their spiritual journey who live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So last week's message, the heart of Christ, we said that the heart of Christ is the unblushing, unqualified, unconditional love of God for you at your worst. Uh, we centered the message around the important and moving invitation of Jesus. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the heart of Christ. Uh, we said that this is made possible by the death of Christ, which was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and the resurrection of Christ, which offers us new life. We said the gospel message must create a gospel culture in our church. And I told a story about a friend of mine. You may remember uh, if you were with us. If you weren't with us, if you didn't hear it, please go on the website. We'd love for you to do that. Or the uh, iTunes um, uh, podcast, you can can pick that up from last week. But I told this story about a friend of mine. Uh, You may remember he was uh, incredibly driven. Uh, Driven, uh, very successful through high school and through college but drove himself to a nervous breakdown. And it was in that moment where he, uh, in that sort of just brokenness, that he finally realized that it was told by his pastor that the gospel is rest. The gospel is not try more, do uh, try harder, do more, uh, be, be better, fulfill your potential. The gospel is Jesus loves me, this I know, right? So um, it is good news, not good advice. So we... Um, uh, it was a story where um, that really caught a lot of your attention. And afterwards, uh, in the receiving line after, people said, what happened? What happened to your friend? Well, you didn't tell us the end of the story. Where is he now? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, because uh, you, you remember that he found that Jesus had come to give inexhaustible grace to an exhausted world. And he found that grace so attractive that Jesus would have done it all for him, no longer that he was marked and graded and, and scored by his performance, but that he was loved in his brokenness. He found that so attractive, found Jesus, the giver of that grace, so attractive, so amazed that he was, uh, that Jesus had leaned into him in his brokenness, that he leaned back. He leaned back into Jesus 
And he began to focus on how impressive Jesus was rather than on how he could impress Jesus and anybody else who was watching, right? He, got, he began to get around people who uh, could help him learn more about resting in Christ. And it became the passion of his life. The gospel message became the passion of, of his life. And he became free in Jesus' rest. And as he did so, he, he actually became lighthearted. Not so serious. He, he actually has a laugh now that just fills the room. He's about 6'4", but he, he kind of fills the room. But his laugh is so wonderful. And he became lighthearted, but really especially he became lighthearted about himself. And he could laugh uh, at his mistakes and his shortcomings. He can even tell this story uh, with a little twinkle in his eye, a little laughter. Uh, can you believe that this happened? And, um, and he changed. The gospel changed him to the point where he genuinely wanted to do whatever it was that the Lord wanted him to do. And he would, I mean, still very talented, very intelligent, very driven. So he, he would put all those things to the task, but for the glory of God and not for his own glory. And, and so, you know, I'm sure he's human. I'm sure he slides in his motivation uh, from, now, from time to time. But now he knows what to do with it. Right? And now, Years later, he is one of the most effective ministers that I have ever known. And he is nationally known in some, in some circles, not like, you know, I don't know, Beyonce or something, but he's, he's nationally known. Um, he, he has uh, written countless articles. He has uh, even written a couple of books, uh, including a book on grief uh, after a family tragedy. And he's done it all, not because he is driven, but because he's free. Now, it sounds impressive, right? He's written a bunch of articles. He's totally effective. He's got books published. Uh, and if, but if you named all those things to him, he would shrug his shoulders and just say, I'm just glad God could use me. And then he'd want to talk about Alabama football. So he's still got some things to work on, you know. But um, <laughs> the, um, he leaned back. I mean, that's the important, the important thing for us to take away from the story, he leaned back into the God who had leaned into him when he knew he didn't deserve it. And um, you know, I tell you about all the accomplishments he's had, not so that you now can go get busy for Jesus, because remember, the gospel is rest. But to tell you that the nervous breakdown he had wasn't the end of the road. In fact, it was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. He found that the Lord of the universe had leaned into him with the gospel of unexhaustible grace, and he leaned back into the Lord of the universe. And that's really what we want to discuss today. We're talking about the mind of Christ. We want to lean back into him. If we were going around this um, discipleship map, really what we're talking about is, is um, broken, no, uh, healthy people grow. We're talking about the word of God. Now, if you look at our passage from 1 Corinthians... Uh, and you might have found it uh, a little hard to understand. In fact, it's kind of out of its context. It is a little hard to understand. It's easier, I think, if you go back and read maybe the first three chapters. Re just read the whole thing. But at least the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. Uh, but here's the gist of the passage today. The wisdom of God does not look like the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God does not look 
like the wisdom of the world. Now, you remember that Paul is speaking into a Corinthian culture, which is part of the Greek culture, that prized wisdom. I mean, they love to talk about wisdom. Any new idea, that all they could do, they just wanted to talk and talk and talk about uh, all these new ideas. They loved wisdom. You ever notice, though, that the economy of God it just seems upside down? We talk about this from time to time. I mean, we talk about life coming after death, or the meek shall inherit the earth, or the prodigal son gets welcomed home, but the good, responsible elder brother gets left out of the party, or, or you know, God's power is made perfect in weakness. The economy of God is upside down. And, and that's because the wisdom of God does not work like the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is like my, what my friend was, was imbibing, you know, drive, push, produce, perform. The wisdom of God, Paul calls it secret and hidden. Not, not because so much it, it was, he was keeping it from, from us, but, um, but because it's not, the wisdom of God is not revealed on a scroll of instruction, but in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not a scroll, but a person. So, I mean, you just think about the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, you would never, if you were relying on the wisdom of the world, you would never write a religion the way that Christianity is, is given to us. You wouldn't start with a, a hero born to an unwed mother who was raised by a carpenter and not a king, who became a king but had zero military or political power, whose greatest victory came in his unjust and shameful death on a cross between two criminals. He was resurrected not to a spiritual or heavenly body, but to an earthly uh, body. And in that culture, you would never say the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. If you were writing according to the wisdom of the world. And we could go on and on. The wisdom of God does not work like the wisdom of the world. Paul is saying in this passage that God has not left you to your own devices to figure out this secret and hidden wisdom of God, but He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has placed in you, by faith, the Holy Spirit, His own Holy Spirit. And in fact, that's what He means when He says we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit in us that knows the mind of God given to us to teach us, to lead us, to, uh, to walk with us and instruct us through the course of our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, this is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It lives in you. Not a, not a similar sort of Spirit. It's the same one that lives in you. The Lord of the universe has leaned into you that we might lean back. He has given us His Spirit. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we understand everything automatically if we have the Spirit, nor does it mean that there aren't things we don't understand, um, which would mean we don't have the Spirit. I didn't say that very well. Um, it doesn't mean that if we, um, if we don't understand things, it doesn't mean we don't have the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to say. What it does mean is that the Holy Spirit is always available to us as we live a life of leaning into Jesus Christ and leaning into His Word. Think about, like, if I join a gym 
and I have the membership card, it's got my face on it, it doesn't mean I'm fit, right? It means that I now have the opportunity to work at becoming fit, right? It, it doesn't, I mean, and at first it feels like drudgery, doesn't it? feels like duty. I'm constantly coming up with excuses and trying to find ways to, uh, excuse, to, to sleep in and other things to do than go to the gym so I can get fit. But after a while, if I stick with it, I won't miss it, right? It becomes part of uh, what, how I understand myself. It just becomes part of the rhythm of my day. And I never really am going to arrive, am I? I'm not going to look down and say, well, I'm fit. I guess I don't have to work out anymore. Like That doesn't make any sense. It's a process. And it's the same. Coming to church is great. I'm so glad you're here. But being a member of a church doesn't make you spiritually mature. It's the process of living our lives, leaning into Jesus Christ and His Word. The scholar David Pryor says, from the perspective of St. Paul, to be mature is to know that I have not yet arrived and still press forwards. Maturity is a process, not a plateau. Maturity is a process, not a plateau. In fact, there's no plateau. It's either you're maturing or you're moving away, and then you're catching yourself and you're moving back. So how do we lean back into Jesus? Well, there's, there's lots of important parts. This We can talk about prayer. We can talk about fellowship with other believers. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about service and serving God. But one critical and crucial element that we all must have is that we must read our Bibles. We must read our Bibles. Bible reading is essential. Um, I, there is a site that I really find, uh, well, in some ways edifying, but just hilarious. And it's called the Babylon Bee. Some of you know this. Some, I know that some of you follow. It's like the onion for Christians. It's a satirical. It's satirical. Uh, and sometimes a little snarky, including this one. It says, here's the headline. Christian man goes on one meal per week diet to reflect Bible reading habits. In Ohio, a local Christian Paul Hoskins announced Wednesday that he will start a new diet that directly corresponds to his pattern of Bible reading. He plans to eat one meal per week. Sources confirm Hoskins will quickly scarf down a light salad every seven days and will avoid any form of nourishment the rest of the time. I got the idea when I realized my spirit can stay healthy even if I ingest the Word of God just once per week, Hoskins told sources. I figure if my spirit can grow and thrive in the once-a-week plan, my body can too. When asked how he expects to sustain himself between meals, Hoskins stated that he will listen to podcasts about food, play music by artists who believe in the power of food, and look at pictures of food on Instagram. (laughs) So it's a little snarky, but it makes the point, right? Bible study is important. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, loves to say that we are... uh, the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. Now, how are we going to learn about Jesus if we don't read our Bibles? Right? You won't know. I mean, if you just say, well, I just think Jesus is, is, is a, was a man of love or a great teacher. Like, well, you wouldn't know anything about Jesus if it weren't for the Bible. There's not other sources about Jesus except for the Bible. We would know nothing about Jesus without the Bible, about his love, or about his judgment. We would know nothing 
about his divinity or his humanity. We know nothing about his teaching or his miracles. And we don't need just the Gospels. Those are important. Of course they're important. But we need the whole of Scripture. The identity of Jesus as the Messiah and as the sacrificial lamb, they would make no sense without the context of the Old Testament. Jesus' death as an atoning sacrifice, uh, as Jesus offering to us his grace and ensuring us our eternal salvation, calling us to new life in this world, that would never be told without the letters of Peter and Paul and James and John. We need the scriptures. We are Christians. We must learn about Christ. We want to learn how he wants us to live. You cannot worship a Jesus of your own making. That Jesus will end up looking just like you. And that Jesus, you'll never disagree with that Jesus. That Jesus will be really attractive at first. That Jesus will never bother you, only affirm you, never challenge you, and will have no power to mold you into the person that God has created you to be. Part of growing in Christ is wrestling with Christ. And the way we do that is through reading our Bibles. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Two ways. Number one, personal study. Well, you think, gosh, the Bible is this thick, Pastor. I don't know how to, I wouldn't know where to start. Google Bible reading for beginners. And you'll come up with tons of stuff. And if, if, if personal study, if you don't like the word study, that's okay. Like, call it a quiet time or a reflection time or a devotional time. And you can read Jesus Calling or My Utmost for His Highest or any of these things. Those are great. But read the Bible. Don't just read the other things. It'd be like drinking the milk but not eating the cereal or something. Uh, so Google Bible reading plans or New Testament in a year. or uh, down, There's tons of apps that will do this. You can have new readings sent to you every morning in your email. Just pick one. And if you don't like that one after a little while, pick another one. There's no right way or wrong way to do it. You just do it. You do it in the morning if that's best for you. You do it at night if that's best for you. You do it in, at lunchtime. Just, you just tinker with it. But you stay at it. And then it becomes part of your day that you wouldn't miss. So that's the first way. It's just personal study. Personal discipline. Personal habit. Um, but tell somebody you're going to do it so they can keep you... Uh, they can ask you about it, and that'll make you do it. The second would be to get in a Bible study. We have like 23 Bible studies at the church. If, you, if those don't fit for you, we'd love to start more. Um, the, in fact, we're going to have a booth out at the ministry fair on September 8th. I'm going to tell you about that in the announcements, uh, among other things. Let me say, Bible studies aren't the point. I mean, we're not trying to just get all our numbers up. You know, The point is spiritual maturity. Uh, Paul writes in Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. Not I have the mind of Christ, or you have singular have the mind of Christ. We, y'all, is what he's saying. Y'all have the mind of Christ. It's a community endeavor. It's a corporate venture. The gospel message creates gospel community. Right? That's weird. So um, if you don't want to wait two weeks for the ministry fair, call us. We, I mean, we, we will work on getting you to the place that you need to be. God has leaned into you. Now, that's probably, that's just a way to say that God has done everything for you that's it might it didn't it's just a metaphor right but it, the gospel the heart of christ is that he has rescued you he's given everything to you because he loves you at your worst 
And part of his love is that he has given you the spirit so that you can know him personally. I just want to conclude with uh, Matthew chapter 7, which is our gospel passage. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I mean, it's kind of harrowing, really. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So go away from me, you evildoers. What makes the difference is personal knowledge. Jesus has leaned into us through his life, death, and resurrection, through giving us his spirit. And it is ours to lean back into him. He has done it all for us. So let's get to know our Savior. Amen.